We're going to start the show today with the President of the United States. Go, Mr. President. Just as we joined together when I signed the law in his name to make lynching a federal crime, and think how long that took for that to happen. I mean, and we screened the movie Till at the White House. Folks, that is uh, our dear president, uh, Joe Biden, talking about uh, something about signing a law making lynching a federal crime in all of our uh, all of our lifetimes. Um, yeah, didn't realize lynching was still going on during our lifetimes. Why would we pass a law about something that doesn't exist? Why would we make it a federal law when it always was a local offense? Maybe not prosecuted at all times, but in all of our lifetimes and everybody we know, including your grandparents and your great-grandparents if they're still living. There was no lynching in this country um, in, in, in any of our lifetimes. Why, why would that all of a sudden become a federal crime? Well, we're going to talk about this speech quite a bit. This was yesterday. And they, that was a big thing going on yesterday. Actually, it was really the news from yesterday. The news from yesterday was from the, the least talented White House press secretary of all time. And we'll get to that. Of course, the media is not talking about it. But today we're going to talk about the environment that we're in and why things aren't getting better. You know, the, America is the greatest country on the planet. It still is, by far. It's not even really close, folks. But it, we're not nearly as good as we could be. Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of like, you know, we've gained a lot of weight. We're, we're old and, you know, uh, in the tooth and we don't really do things as well. But we're still better than everybody else. And we're kind of living off that. And a lot of people are basically um, they're I mean, they're almost leeches. But we can get back to it quickly. And it wouldn't take that long if we corrected a few things. And I'm going to talk about the things we need to correct today in the context of the news, because, as you know, I've got to I got to get you all caught up to date with all the news that you need to know that's really relevant. Um, and I'm going to try to do it in under 40 minutes. I, given how many slides I see open, it looks like about 15. I doubt I'm going to make 40 minutes, but I will try my best. Um, again, before I start, those of you listening on Rumble, and we're starting to get some traction there, uh, Rumble is already dwarfing YouTube, which is kind of crazy because it's a lot smaller and I have a lot fewer subscribers there. So if you'll do me a favor, hit the like button. If you if you can subscribe to, that would be great. But the like button is really would help out uh, content creators. That's how that algorithm works. So anyway, getting back to President Biden. So I want you to understand that he had the nation's attention. That's what the, how this works, folks. That not every not every day, but usually once a week, the White House tries to come up with something big that they do to set the national mood, get the get the people talking, figure out what we're going to do as a nation, right? So the White House had our attention yesterday, this week, with the set. And what do they want to do? They want to talk about race. Now, I mean, you know, honestly. Uh, and again, a lot of things don't make the cut. I've got uh, Vivek Raghu. I can never pronounce his name. I really, it's sad. I feel bad because he's my favorite Republican candidate right now running. He's running the best campaign by far. He's moving up in the polls. He's succeeding. That's the American dream. That's great. I can't pronounce it. I think it's Vivek Ragaswamy, but I promise I will, I will learn it soon because I feel bad not being able to do it. But he gave the, one of the best answers to Charlemagne the God a couple weeks ago, and that's been in the can. I got two or three things in there I need to bring out one of these days. But anyway, the point here is why are we talking about race when race, if you were to rank it in terms of reality, right, it would rank probably 25th, 26th. It you know, wouldn't be anywhere near the top 10. Of course, we don't deal in reality anymore. We unfortunately are captured in this Alice in Wonderland media environment that is completely concocted by the Democrats, largely, and they want to talk about this. Right, So he starts off the speech, I've already debunked a couple of it. Lynching's not an issue. Why are you talking about it? Why does it need to be a federal crime? Right? I mean, is there some jurisdiction out there that I'm not aware of that says, oh yeah, lynching's fine. Go right ahead, lynch away. No problem. No, nobody's doing that. And it's not happening in fact. It's, there's no reason to do it other than if you want to create this mirage. But here's the important thing. As obvious as that is, what I just said to me and you, that it's not happening and there's no reason to make it a federal crime because it's, it's a local crime as well, it is not obvious to our friends and neighbors. When you go out today and you fill up your gas tank and you go to the grocery store, you go get lunch, look to your left and look to your right, and one of those two people, maybe both of them, absolutely believe this is an important thing. Well, we've got to make it a federal crime. You can't lynch. And racism is a big deal. And if on your left and on your right is a woman, and it's a white woman, it's probably guaranteed to be two out of two. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had, because a lot of people I see at my club, a lot of people I see at the local bars I go to, they know me, they know I talk about politics, 
And I can tell you right now, if you are talking to a white female, the odds that she will be conservative on the economy, on Ukraine, on um, immigration, every single solitary thing you can talk about. You, you get to race. I tweeted this a couple weeks ago, and it is totally true. Race is the white woman's kryptonite. For whatever reason, that just that that just cuts right that well. Now we we got racism in this country, and we got to stop it. And I don't know. It's like you. What are you? Where are you seeing all this racism? I mean, I live in probably one of the most diverse, probably the most diverse city in America, and there's no racism. But anyway, uh, I'm not. Well, that's not true. You know what I mean? When I say there's no racism, I don't mean there's literally no racism. I mean there's no, in fact, de jure racism by law or you know outwardly. Um, impacting racism in there. But Biden, he goes on. And here's where, to me, I think it's a problem and he shouldn't do this. And this is why, to me, Biden is the worst president in my lifetime, surpassing Jimmy Carter. And the reason is because he allows himself to be used and to do, well, he may actually believe this. I don't think Biden, uh, Biden's a person that lacks compunction. He doesn't believe anything. What Biden does is Biden gets up every day and says, what can I do to further Biden and the Biden family? Okay, all right. Now, what do I need to do to do that? He's not a person with his own compass that comes. I mean, even Barack Obama, I think, at some point was like, no, no, you know, I believe in this or I believe in that, and I'm going to really push and advocate for this and that. Yeah, okay, if I need to do that to get reelected, I understand, I'll do it. But Biden has zero compass. It's what is, what's in it for me, what do I need to do to get to what's in it for me? So he's been told he's got to say this next thing, right? So he says it. Well, I don't know whether he believes it or not, but the important point is the people that control him, the people behind him, the Democrat Party, it's absolutely what they believe. And folks, if you're listening to other podcasts, for, you know, I'm going to pick on somebody in particular, I probably shouldn't, but I've, it's been in the can too, and I've got a couple of them, and i do it one of these days. But it, you know, Scott Adams and people like that, they're good to listen to for certain things, but certain at certain point, they're just not helpful because they're way behind. And they'll say things like, no, no, nobody believes that. No, 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 nobody, literally nobody believes that. Oh, yes, they do. Tons of people are going to believe absolutely what I'm about to pray, what I'm about to play the president of the United States saying. And folks, that is an important thing to us because even if you had people who were rationally and rational and knew what he's about to say is complete garbage, he wouldn't say it. He needs people to tr honestly believe it, and they do. Anyway, take a listen. Today we join together as I sign a proclamation designating Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley National Monument in both Illinois and the Mississippi. All right, before he gets to the point I want him to make, let me back up and explain the story of Emmett Till, because some of you may not know this kind of thing. And as you know, on the Great American Mail, we, 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 we interpret the news of the day through the lens of the law, the Constitution, and history. And this is a little bit of history here. It's a little bit of law, but mostly it's history. So who was Emmett Till? Emmett Till was a young black kid. I think he was 13 or 14 in 1955, and he was from Chicago. And he went to Mississippi. That's why Biden's talking about making it a national monument in Illinois, Mississippi. He went down to Mississippi, I think, to visit some cousins, but I don't really, I don't remember the exact specifics. Anyway, he was from Chicago, where things were a little bit looser, and you know they didn't have the the, the regimented. Um, segregated society that they had in Mississippi. So he went down to the local store. And again, let me, let me just pull up Wikipedia because I, I don't want to do this and then misquote it. So uh, the, 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 Emmett, Lewis, uh, Emmett Lewis Till was an African-American boy who was abducted, tortured, and lynched in Mississippi in 1955 at the age of 14 after being accused of offending a white woman, Carolyn Bryant, in her family's grocery store. The brutality of his murder and the acquittal of his murderers drew attention to the long histoire of violent persecution of African Americans in the United States. Ba ba ba. He was born in Mississippi. Here's the here's the here's the kill, kill. What you really need to know. Although what happened at the store is a matter of dispute, Till was accused of flirting with, touching, or whistling at Bryant. Again, that would be the white. Um, owner of the store. Till's interaction with Bryant perhaps unwittingly violated the unwritten code of behavior for a black male interacting with a white female in the Jim Crow era. It would also violate the unwritten code of a white male. I mean, you may be able to flirt, but even in the white community, you're not allowed to touch and go over the top on it. So, query whether this would have happened, whether he was white or not, we don't know. But anyway, this is from Wikipedia. Several nights after the incident in the store, Bryant's husband Roy and his half-brother J.W. Millam were armed, went to 
Till's great uncle's house and abducted Emmett. They took him away, then beat him and mutilated him before shooting him in the head and sinking his body in the Tallahatchie River. That was later descri- was later recovered later. And the mother, when his body was returned to Illinois, uh, said that we're going to have an open casket because she was horrified by what had happened to her child. Blah, 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 blah. I wanted to read that, one, because I didn't want to be the one to tell you the story and miss something from memory, although my memory was spot on. Here's the point I wanted to make. This is Wikipedia, and it's going to tie into what I'm talking about today. Everywhere you get, everywhere you're being hoaxed, everywhere you're being propagandized, everywhere you're being demagogued. Now, I understand that obviously you know that Wikipedia is a left of left of left of left source. That's not going to give you the honest thing. But I want you to notice how long it takes. It's been a while since I've done this. I used to do it all the time. They will they will debunk themselves within a page, within a paragraph, within a sentence. How long did it take them this time? Okay, it took them, uh, took them one paragraph. You ready? Here we go. Emmett Lewis Till was an African-American boy who was abducted, tortured, and lynched in Mississippi in 1955. The next paragraph, midway through, Several nights after the incident in the store, blah, 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 they took him away, beat him, mutilated him before shooting him in the head and sinking his body in the Tallahatchie River. Where's the lynching? You're not going to shoot somebody in the head if you're going to lynch them. That's not the way this works. Now, why is that in there? Okay, does the person who wrote that honestly believe it? Does the person who wrote it honestly think that's what happened? Of course because that's how bad our system's got. And I'll explain why it's gotten there later. But we've created a whole generation of Americans that believe that reality is what they want it to be, not what it is. That is one of the most, if not the most dangerous things that has happened. Why do those people believe it? Why do they think it? Well, let's go back to the President of the United States and yesterday him speaking. Let's take a listen. as a matter of law we talked about wanting to do this but the support from the community has been so overwhelming I thank the members of Congress for their support and more than that their leadership at a time when there are those who seek to ban books bury history ban books and bury history down goes Frazier right there boom The President of the United States, speaking to all of America and the world, says that in America, we're banning books and we're uh, revising history. Now, we're not the ones who is doing that, obviously. It's the exact opposite. They, They always accuse us of that which they're doing. But think about that. Think about the damage you're doing to the soul of the country, which he likes to talk about all the time, even though a country doesn't have soul. Right? Think about being the type of human being that would do that. We elect one chief, one executive. In this government, one, the President of the United States, he's there to specifically push back against that garbage, not to continue it. I'm not going to not going to insult anybody's intelligence by explaining to you that we're not banning books and we're not revising history. But I literally it was my lead story on Monday, and there, two a, a day later, the President of the United States repeats the absolute lie and demagoguery that his Vice President had repeated before. Nobody's revising history. Far from it. They're probably teaching more about uh, slavery in Florida than they ever have. But everywhere the media is doing this. It's everywhere. And one of the points I want to make today is one of the reasons it's everywhere is we're creating a whole class and group of people, and it's getting larger, that want this. They need this. And that's one of the reasons you're getting more of it. So here's the headline from the New York Crimes. Barbie and Oppenheimer combined had the biggest box office weekend haul in North America since 2019 and the fourth largest ever before adjusting for inflation. Now, I saw this article yesterday and it made the cut today because here is a perfect example of where they gaslight you 24-7, 365. What the hell is Barbenheimer? There's no such thing as Barbenheimer. There isn't. There's no movie called Barbenheimer. So why would you combine two movies and then lie to me and tell me it's the fourth largest ever? It looks like Barbie took in 162, which given how much they spent is a failure, and Oppenheimer took in 82. Well, what does 162 drop you down to? Right? They're they're comparing it saying, well, it's 311 and 311 is fourth. 402 being the Avengers Endgame, 314 being Avengers Infinity War, and 313 being The Force Awakens. So the only way you get it to be fourth is to combine it with some other movie that's irrelevant and say, oh, we'd had 311. 
But if you do them individually, they don't even make the top 10. And oh, I'm a little surprised the New York Crimes decided to be honest for once and go, well, of course you got to adjust for inflation. If you adjusted for inflation, it wouldn't even be fourth. Why would you do this? Well, because they're not even interested in delivering the news. They're interested in giving you a narrative. They're interested in giving you a show, right? And again, part of the reason for this is just the very human nature of things. One, you've created a whole bunch of people out there that want to be that want their reality to be reinforced, the reality they believe in. Izzo is a beautiful woman because I want to be able to be fat and be told I'm beautiful. It's just that simple. And I'm not picking on fat people because I'm overweight. I've lost a lot of, hadn't quite got bad none of my pre-COVID weight, but I'm working on it, right? Anyway, all this is having really deleterious effects on our culture. So here's something I saw doing my reading this morning. The scariest poll you'll see this summer. Um, let me help you out, Alex Berenson. It's not the scariest poll you'll see this summer. It's the scariest poll you'll ever see in your lifetime. A majority of Americans, an overwhelmingly number of Democrats, no longer support First Amendment protections for free speech. The government should restrict, quote, false information online, even do even if doing so blocks people from, quote, publishing or accessing information. 55% of Americans said in a large poll released Thursday. The antipathy to free speech represents a sea change in attitudes in just five years. What's happened in the last five years, folks? What would that be? Do, 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 do. Trump. They used Trump to completely, right, remake this country. It is driven by a powerful new hostility to First Amendment rights on the left. The left always has been against free speech. That's not what's happening. Alex Berenson, with all due respect, I like him as far as it goes. He's wrong. That's not what happened. It's not a new hostility to First Amendment rights on the left. It's what I've been telling you. The left is getting more control of institutions. The left always hates free speech because the left relies on being able to tell you what reality is and to tell you what to do. Right, And you get more people and leftists in positions of power, the more they're going to be hostile to free speech. That's a check on their power. They don't like that. Anyway, in an identically worded poll five years ago, Democrats and Republicans favored free speech online by roughly three to two margins. That's, by the way, too low anyway. Uh, Today, Republicans still favor the First Amendment by about that much. Anyway, but Democrats have turned against it by even more. Folks, that that's I, I don't have time to go into it greater. I just want to make sure you're aware of it that this within the last five years, Democrats have gone from not all of them, but you know a sl- slight majority, right, to to now disfavoring it. And again, there's two reasons why that is: the politicians that push it, right, they want to be they don't want to check on their power, and the people that vote for them, right, they don't want to check on their reality. They want to believe Lizzo's beautiful. They don't want to believe she's obese. So. So now I got that truth right there, and we'll, then I can just be as fat as I want, and I'm beautiful. All right, the headline here from, this is like CNN Business, the rise of gig workers is changing the face of the U.S. economy. It goes on to talk about lots of things going on here, but a couple of the highlights I want to give you, and this is an important story. It almost I think I wasn't doing the podcast when this hit, but a couple weeks ago, there was an article that came out that was talking about the IRS, how the IRS had brought in about $75 million based on the act that was passed, uh, part of the Inflation Reduction Act. It was passed about six months ago, and it had, as you'll recall, 80,000 new IRS agents, or maybe it's 77,000, it doesn't matter, it's a bunch of new IRS agents, and they claimed they were going to go after the rich. Right. Well, I saw that article and I thought, well, that's idiocy. There's no way you could have pulled in $75 million in six months. I mean, you can't even hire the people in six months. Even if you start the audits, the audits takes years. Right. You can't bring in and then you got to get the money. And it's just complete propaganda. Now, I told you, I think I told you before I stopped and had the respite in December, but Folks, anybody with a, with a brain, a functioning brain, can tell you when they expand the number of IRS agents, they're not going after the rich. Because the rich, A, they, they, they don't need to cheat. They don't need to do these things. Number two, you got to look at the changing of the culture, right? The culture, the, the way business is done has not really changed significantly. So why would audits change significantly? There's still a lot of rich people. They got a lot of accountants. They have S-corps. None of that's changed. It's not like they've invented new business entities out there. What's changed in your lifetime? A lot of things, right? Phones have changed. Phones in my lifetime, phones have changed dramatically. Hell, they've changed dramatically in the last 10 years. Right? What's changed about our economy dramatically in the last 10 years? You know what it is. The gig economy. People that are self-employed. Now, how do you get that? 
That is, the IRS can't stand self-employed people. And I'm a self-employed person, right? They can't stand it because people are giving you money and there's no record of it. If you are a W-2 employee or if you are a partner in a business, right, you, they know about it because as soon as they give you the check at the end of the year, they send to the IRS, here's how much I paid that person. The IRS now knows. If you're in the quote-unquote gig economy, and let me break it down for you, just the easiest way to do it. What if you're somebody that mows grass for a living, right? And you go around, and let's say you charge $100 for each person you do. You do 10 people a week, right? So that's $1,000. You do uh, 50 weeks a year. You take two weeks off. That's 50 grand. How in the world is the government going to know about that, right? They're not. And if, if somebody gives you cash, they're not. If they give you checks, they're still not. Now, at least with the checks, there's a record because you deposited it, right? So you can go to the IRS and they can go, hey, where, hey, uh, Great American Mail, where do you bank? Bank of America. Eh, subpoena on Bank of America. Here are all the checks he cashed or deposited, as the case may be, right? Now I've got a record. What if it's cash? You know how you do that? This is stuff you learn in law school. You learn it in tax. Well, you get agents and you follow that guy around every week. Well, Mr. Agent, what did you see that week? Well, I saw the Great American Mail. He did 10 lawns. How many times did he do it? He did it 10 lawns pretty much every week. In fact, I have the addresses of the people he did it. How do you do that, folks, without getting an agent to go out there and see it and do it and then testify in court of law? He did this address, this address, this address. He did them about every two weeks. So he had 10 he did one week. He had another 10 did the other week, and then he rotated. How many? Well, I saw him do it. How much do you estimate he brought in? I'd say uh, about $50,000. How much would you check? How much was cash? Well, you know, it varied. I mean, this address seemed to pay by check. This, you know, right? That takes time. That takes effort. And then now you imagine the same thing happening with Uber, the same thing happening with Lyft, the same thing happening with DoorDash. They want that money, right? And there's two ways you can do it. You can pass a law like Barack Obama did, which said lowered the uh, threshold to report from 10,000 to 600. And it got, you understand that. So, and again, just to so you understand how this works in practical, I have a law firm. People write me checks. At the end of the year, I have to report to the government how much money I got. I always report every single nickel, and nobody would do anything otherwise, right? But I'm going to tell you right now, they're supposed to give me a 1099. You know how many people give me a 1099? About 10% of the money I bring in is 1099. So every year the IRS goes, well, people told us that you got X, but you reported X times 9, right? Because I reported the other money that they didn't bother to get the 1099 with. But you know what every single solitary client of mine who did that did? They violated the rule because they gave me more than 600 and they didn't tell the government. So what the government has figured out since Barack Obama, okay, just before uh, Trump, right? We're talking the last 10 years. You know what they figured out? Lowering the threshold from 10600 doesn't work. Doesn't work. We don't know about it. We have no idea. So now what's what they did? We need 80,000 IRS agents. We're going to go out there. Now we're not worried about Great American Mail. He always over-reports. He's reporting every penny. It's a waste of time. But these people over here, this guy that's mowing this lawn, that person on the DoorDash, find out where they're going. Find out how they worked. Go get subpoenas. Right. That's what that's for. And they're going to come after it. But one other point I want to make from reading the article. Uh, uh, Let's see where it's here. Gosh, I missed it. Oh, come on. Um, uh, And there's a point I'm just going to have to tell you because I don't see it right now. Uh, anyway, all right. The other point the article made that you need to know, I got to move on. The other point the article made, and here's where I wanted to get to, and unfortunately it took me 23 minutes to get to it. The point I wanted to make from the article that was in there is that it also, the gig economy might also be part of the reason why the unemployment figures are so low because it doesn't capture people like that because they're not considered um, unemployed anymore. Anyway, you just need to know that. All right, so here's where I wanted to get to today. The end of the Washington Post. This is a uh, editorial written in politics magazine or something by mark judge the washington post is collapsing once one of america's greatest media institutions the paper lost 100 million dollars last year and shed 500,000 subscribers folks any business does that they're in peril we all know that Uh, recent reports reveal that post owner jeff bezos is going to be more hands on to try and save the paper good luck with that jeff that's not your skill set Yet, trying to get employees at the Post to do their jobs is like trying to get dogs to play baseball. Dogs aren't interested in baseball, and the breed of journalists now at the Post is not interested in journalism. Always a liberal paper, the Post is now pure propaganda. Amen. Amen, Mark Judge. Welcome to the party. 
They're not practicing journalism anymore, and they're not interested. I talked about that in the old days, and the uh, I Feel Cheated crowd will remember this. If you give the average human being a choice, which would you rather do? Go out and do a, do a bunch of research, figure out, interview people, look up things, and then what you come to, the conclusion you come to from the data might not agree with you. Option B, sit at your desk and just make up whatever you want to make up. The Every human being is going to choose B because it's going to always agree with me and I don't have to do any work. I can just write my opinions, write what I want out there. Add to it this media environment where people want it, they crave it. And just so you understand how bad this is, they care less about whether your team actually won on Sunday right, than what the opinion of the reporter who saw the game thought who won the game. And that's just sad, but that's where we are, folks. Anyway, so um, other news out there, and this gets into the news, but you need to understand you're not getting journalism anywhere you're going. So this is our our friends over at uh, CNN here. Federal judge blocks Biden's controversial asylum policy in a major blow to, uh, to administration. Now, let's read through this article a little bit. What's going on here? I'll just tell you what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. One of the things that that the Trump administration had to deal with when trying to curtail this illegal invasion that's going on is that pretty soon these uh, 'er ne'er-do-well bad faith actors started teaching these invaders, hey, don't say you're just coming for a better life. Use the word asylum. Repite, right? Asylum. Right. Once they use that magic word, that puts you in a whole different category. You're not just someone who's coming over, trying to have a better life. Would you please let me in the country? Right. You're an asylum seeker. Right. You're like somebody trying to come over from Russia when it was the USSR or somebody coming over from Cuba. You're a person who is fleeing political persecution. You go right to the front of the line. You get privileges and immunities you can't imagine. So once you once you all of a sudden you go from a situation where, look, all you guys are illegal. We caught you. You're going back to, hey, a thousand people came over. That's strange. Used to be nobody ever from Mexico would claim asylum. Now, 500 of the thousand said asylum. Guess what you got to do? Whole different situation. You can't return them even if you want to. So the Trump administration came up with an idea, and it was a good one, said that if you want to if you want to uh, ask for asylum, you have to write us, email us, call us, write, get in touch with us, and we set up this whole email system for you to do it, website, etc. You have to, the first country you get to, you have to ask. And if you flow through enough countries, you're ineligible for asylum. Now, that ticked off a lot of people, right, mainly because they want the illegal invasion to continue. Right, They didn't have a genuine problem with it. Because if you're truly an asylum seeker, and again, I want you to understand, you don't have to do it in the country you start. That doesn't make any sense. If I'm being politically persecuted in the country I start with, obviously, I'm not going to email from there and wait there. They're going to get me. I got one country over. But the first country that's not trying to persecute you, you need to let us know what's the policy. Anyway, so the ruling against the my uh anyway federal judge on Tuesday blocked Joe Biden's controversial asylum policy diverting a major blow uh, delivering a major blow to the administration, which has le- leaned on the measure to drive down border crossings. The judge put the ruling on hold 14 days pending appeal. Judge John Tigger of the California Northern District previously ruled against similar policy under the Trump administration and expressed skepticism that there was any daylight between Biden's policy and the Trump era one during a court hearing last week. Administration officials have rejected the comparison to Trump era rules. Of course they had because they lie, and they're used to lying. Of course, it's the same policy. They now realize it's good policy because they're being overwhelmed, right? Anyway, long story short, folks, one other thing you need to know about this. You know the policy. They've now reversed it, so now you can just flood in, get right here to the border, say asylum, and you get the privileges and immunities you shouldn't get. I want to make two other points, and then we're going to move on, okay? So the first and foremost is, guess who nominated uh, Judge John Tigger? That would be Barack the One Obama. Okay, and again, here it is. This is a problem. Even Biden is trying to say, look, guys, um, it's a little out of control. Sorry, we, we, got, we, we got to have some law around here. We got to try to push back. And they don't understand because he lives in a totally different universe. Nobody ever has a different opinion. Well, that sounds like Trump would do. Well, that sounds like uh, you, you're going against the immigrant people. It, well, my point here is this. It's very hard to push back when nobody in your party ever hears any other different viewpoint, ever expresses a different viewpoint, that's all he knows. Well, this sounds like Trump, right? And even the Biden administration trying to explain to this judge we need to do this, he rejects it. Anyway, so later in the article, if you read it, it turns out the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, the American American Civil Liberties Union, brought the um, 
uh, brought the lawsuit. And of course, it says here the ACLU applauded the ruling in a statement. Of course they did. I want to tell you a little bit about something about the ACLU, another reason I brought this up. And uh, so the ACLU is the American Civil Liberties Union. Now, they've always been left to center. They've always been more left than I am. But I remember a time when I first started following politics that I would line up with the ACLU sometimes. I'll give you an example. They were very much in favor of flag burning. I wasn't in favor of flag burning, but I agreed it was constitutional. Didn't like it. But, you know, how can you be for free speech if I'm against you burning a flag, which is in form of uh, a form of speech? They are no longer the American Civil Liberties Union because we're not talking about Americans here, are we? We're talking about illegal invaders. You don't have rights, but that's what the American Civil Liberty un- Union is now. You know what else they're against? Free speech. You know who used to be one of the biggest advocates for free speech? The American Civil Liberties Union. Not anymore, right? It's been captured by these left-wing communists, and that's all it is. And it's not helping our country at all, and it's somewhat of a punchline. So under the same environment in which we live, I, this was in, uh, I saw this yesterday, I thought this was amusing, so I thought we'd cover it. So um, uh, this is over at Midas Touch, this is a left-wing influencer that comes up in my Twitter feed. Um, so anyway, let's listen to this gentleman. His name is Miles Taylor. He got his start in government under George W. Bush. So he worked in the Bush administration, and then um, after Obama, he got a job in the Obama administration, or in the Trump administration. Now, I want you to understand what goes on, because a lot of people, you hear this like, well, uh, uh, everybody that testified at the January 6th committee were Republicans. A lot of them even worked in the Trump administration. So, you don't think there are moles in there? You don't think there are traitors? You don't think that there were people in there to undermine it? No, that's not possible. That, that would never happen, because it never happens in the Democrat Party. I know, because you literally crucify anybody who does. But in the Republican Party, that's a big tent and a real political party, you get people in there that had differing opinions the whole time. Anyway, I tell you all that to tell you this. The other thing you need to know about this person, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, uh, Twitter, or uh, Rumble, you can see. But he looks to me, I looked it up, uh, the internet is somewhat unsure. He was either born in 86 or 87. Either way, he is approximately 37 years old today, which would have put him about 33, 34 during the period that he's about to talk about. So he's going to talk about working in the Trump administration. Take a listen. This 50-page memo that we would normally give to any other president about what his options are is something Trump literally can't read. The man doesn't read. We've got to boil this down into a he literally can't read in his voice. And so I had to write this incandescently stupid memo <laughs> called something like Afghan. Now, folks, I'm going to let him finish. This is, It's a relatively small bit. Folks, right off the bat. Okay, give me a break, right? First off, no president's reading 50-page single-space memos. Nobody is. As long as I've been alive, this is where you need the history part again. As long as I've been alive, every time it's a Democrat, oh, they're so erudite and intelligent, and they're so hardworking, and and, and it's a Republican. It's a cowboy. (laughs) He just shoots from the hip. He doesn't know. Reagan's sleeping the whole time. Doesn't even read the memos. Falls asleep during the meetings, right? Uh, Trump, cowboy, doesn't know. Can't even read. Literally can't read. They can't read. I have to dumb everything down. I mean, give me a break. This is the kind of crap you couldn't run up the flagpole in a rational society. So, again, he's over the top. He's hyperbolic. But let's listen to what he has to say, and he gets further, okay? It's not just that—you should be able to reject it right off the top. But then he gets to this. How to put America first and win. And then bullet by bullet, I summed up this highly classified memo into Trump's sort of bombastic language because it was the only way he was going to understand. I mean, I literally said in there, you know, if we leave Afghanistan too fast, the terrorists will call us losers. But if we want to be seen as winners, we need to make sure the Afghan forces have the strength to push back against these criminals. I mean, it, it was it was that dumb. And that's how you had to talk to him. All right, folks, do you believe a word of that? I I had to break down this highly classified memo. Dude, you're like 37. Well, you're 37 now. You were 33, 34 then. You didn't have access to super highly classified documents. And if you did, then that tells me the whole highly classified thing is a hoax. I mean, what kind of a government do we have when we have babies out there that get this highly classified information? And this man who literally can't read, and I've literally got a dumb it town. If we leave Afghanistan to her, we will be losers. But if we stay, we will be winners. Notice he's talking about Afghanistan there. You remember what happened in Afghanistan? Remember Biden left too soon, right? I mean, that is designed beginning to end to basically 
play and demagogue you into this whole idea. Well, here's somebody that worked in his own administration, and he says he literally can't read and doesn't read, and I have to dumb it down a child could understand. Now, there's a kernel of truth to this stuff, and if you read, and a client of mine got me to read it, and I'm glad I did, but if you read um, The Art of the Deal, which is a, it was pseudo-written by Trump, and I think he had a ghostwriter or something, but um, he definitely has an unorthodox leadership style, but there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with, I need you to break down the 50-page memo. I can't read, you know, his name is this Miles Taylor. Mr. Taylor, I can't read every flipping 50-page memo these people create, or I'll never, ever stop reading. I won't be able to eat, breathe, sleep, do anything. It's not possible, folks, and that's not how you run a country. You need to understand the basics, and there might be occasionally something here or there. you got to dig in deeper, but that was his job is to break it down and explain it to me. Anyway, it's just the thing that things like that, they are fed into the Democrat mainstream. That's, again, from Midas Touch. So many followers they have here. I think it's a lot. Yeah, they have a million followers. It's a left-wing group. They run this stuff 24-7, 365, and it's all, we're all a bunch of Hitlers, and we're not Hitlers, we're racist, and if we're not racist, we're lynching, and if we're not that, we're stupid. We don't read. We literally can't read, and we, we, don't, we don't ever consume information. It is all they ever do, and the problem with that is, among the problems is, you eventually you create people who actually believe it, partially because they want to believe it. Headline, next headline, moving on. Jury acquits Kevin Spade in London on sexual assault charges dating back to 2001. Huh. Now, why is this a big story? Why do you need to know this? Because maybe we ought to have a system of government of the people, by the people, and for the people, where we follow the rule of law, where you're innocent until proven guilty. I'm not going to read the article. The article's not important. I did read it, but I'm not going to read it to you. It's not important. What you need to know is, when we finally got down to some rational rule of law, what we accused uh, Kevin Spacey of was not correct. Now, which which form of government do you think the people in charge currently want to have? <laughs> of course, they want to be able to cancel you. And do you think they care that they ruined his career? Do you think that they care that we didn't get to see, um, it wasn't Game of Thrones, it was the other one he did, um, but all the movies that he would have, the art that he would have brought to us all these years, they don't care. They don't care about stuff like that. That's not important. Anyway, moving on. Um, this is a headline from Kyle Griffin. I, I'm just going to read you this. Executive producer, MSNBC's um, I'm in MSNBC and Mehdi Hassan show. Opinions mine. Do not congratulate threads. All right. Um, so he basically works for MSNBC, and he's constantly just everything the Republicans do, they're basically Trump or uh, Hitler reincarnate. So here you go. Uh, Chris Krebs, the former head of CISA, right, the nation's cybersecurity agency under DHS, who was fired by Donald Trump, had spoken with special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into the election interference probe. What does that tell you, folks? Jack Smith is not running a real investigation is what it tells you, right? Because that's called impeachment. You're going to bring me a witness and put him on the stand, and he's going to say whatever he's going to say, and I'm going to stand up and go, um, Mr. Krebs, um, how long did you work at the government? Oh, yeah, yeah, I worked until, uh, you know, I worked until 2018. Why did you cease working for the government in 2018? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I needed to move on. The, Sir, isn't it true you were fired by the federal? I wasn't fired by the federal government. I was fired by Trump. And he, that's what it's, or something like that. That's how it's going to go. And then if, if he ever delivers any credible information at all, right, you're just going to say to the jury, I mean, he, he's got an axe to grind. Trump fired him because he was incompetent or whatever. Another thing I want to say before I move on to the next story, I'm not going to make 40, but I'm going to make pretty close. So is that, you know, we heard yesterday from Andrew Weissman, or maybe it was Monday, I can't recall, who used to be the head of, uh, he was a general counsel for the FBI, right? And he later became the head chief prosecutor in the Mueller probe. And one of the things that's interesting is he not only was the head of the FBI or the general counsel for the FBI when all this spying on Trump was going on and all the Russiagate started going on, right? But he also was on the Mueller probe, and now he on a daily basis reveals just how hyper and rabidly partisan he is. Same thing with this Chris Krebs person. So now he's not even concerned about the fact that he somehow got figured enough to get terminated. He's now willing to throw his um, hat in the ring and testify. In a rational society, any almost all of these people would be conflicted and impeachable because they were part of the spy ring, right? 
Yeah, so I'm sure you're testifying against Trump. You're trying to cover up for your spying. Anyway, here's another big story. And again, I can't believe it took me 40 minutes to get into it, but uh, it did. So um, basically, folks, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Biden will not be the nominee. He, unless he's so incompetent that he manages to somehow lose New Hampshire and lose New Iowa, which, folks, it could happen. It could happen because the Democrats have no idea what's going on, which is, again, they should invite me to their meetings occasionally because I can help them out. So one of the reasons Hillary lost the easily most easily winnable election of all time in 2016 is she never set foot in Wisconsin. And I can tell you from reading the book, it's called uh, Shattered. It's an insider book on the Hillary Clinton campaign written from somebody friendly to Hillary Clinton. And the story about Wisconsin is told several times throughout that book. And the gist of it is the people from Wisconsin are calling and they're going, hey, we got it. We got problem here. I mean, I've seen a lot of Trump signs and we're going to people and the people that used to answer our door, give us money, put up a sign. They're saying, no, thank you. Pass along. We got problems. And Robbie Mook, who was uh, Hillary's uh, campaign director, going to his little because he was all about the analytics and all that stuff. And he go, no, no, we're fine in Wisconsin and no money for you. And these guys are like, you know, and gals are like, hey, put, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been in Wisconsin politics since I was five. It's 50 years now. We got a problem. No, she didn't do anything. And this is a problem they could be facing now. I'm going to get to Robert Kennedy in a bit. But they really don't know what's going on. So they're so used to freeing the propaganda to their voters, right? Here's, let me plug into your brain what you need to know. And that works. But there's a whole bunch of people from going from the third that they have captured completely. And maybe it's a little more than third, maybe it's a little less. I don't know. But getting to that 50, right, is going to take tacking on some people that you don't quite yet have complete control of. So he could easily go and lose Iowa and uh, New Hampshire. And if he does, now they got a problem. If RFK starts getting delegates and Biden can't capture that 17%, I've told you you need to get to add with the 33 or so that's already super delegates, you can't pick the nominee yourself. And that's going to be a, a, I'm not going to tell you what kind of storm it is because we don't use profanity. But anyway, so it could happen. That's why they're trying to move South Carolina up to first because they got that one in the can. They ain't worried about that. He'll win South Carolina. But anyway, so the heat is being ratcheted up. They knew in all likelihood that Biden was corrupt when he got the nomination and they picked him over crazy Bernie. They knew it, right? You remember Obama said several times, Joe, you don't have to do this. Obama knew he was corrupt. Obama's not an imbecile. I'm, I'm, I put you in charge of Ukraine. Next thing you know, your son's on the board of this. Next thing you know, in the fire and the prosecutor's investigating the son. Next thing you know, you're getting millions of dollars, not just through Hunter, but through other intermediate. Biden knows that there's a connection there, or certainly he knew there was some fire. They knew what kind of person he was, but they needed him at the time, right? They always choose their interest over the country over the system, right? So they, they were like, oh, we got to do what we got to do. And then they, you know, they kept him along. Now he's no longer useful, but they got to find a way to soft land this plane. They can't just crash it into. If it were old times, they could just like, well, let's get rid of Biden. But no, 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 no. There's a lot of reasons why. One, they supported Biden. So if they can then come after him, it's going to be, well, why? you knew about this all along, right? Number two, they want to be able to select their own person. They don't want to just get rid of Biden and say, well, Kamala, you run. All you other, Pete Buttigieg, you run. Uh, Gavin Newsom, you run. Gretchen Whitmer, you run. And, well, let, let, let the voters decide, please. These people don't believe in democracy. If they did, you wouldn't have superdelegates in the first place. So what's happening, and you, you got to be able to read, as Rush would say, the stitches on the fastball. They're subtly moving this. And the fact that yesterday... Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre said this instead of what she's been usually saying is a huge tale. Before, the, the, it's always been, I have no idea. I don't even speak to my son about it. I don't even speak to him. I don't know. I have no idea about his business. Yesterday, she said this, and this is this is by design, folks. As untalented as she is, even I think she was told that this is why we've changed. And that means I think Biden knows, and he's in on the whole grift of, yeah, I just got to serve a few more months, enough to where we can pick our nominee, and then I'm out of here. Take a listen. The president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son Hunter Biden many times. Curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even uh, spoken to his son about his business. So I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president ha was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. Never in business with his son. Well, that was never what anybody talked about, right? Of course, he was never in business with his son. He never even knew about the business of his son. He never spoke to 
his son about the business of his son. And by the way, what, what, what business is Hunter Biden in anyway? I mean, they're constantly on Trump and Trump's kids, but we all know they're all in real estate. All of them. You know, but but Biden, the Bidens never had a business. The only business they have is government. And the only business Hunter has is being the son of somebody in government. And this stuff is getting bad, folks. And part of it, listen, there's a slight chance it could be because she's incompetent, but I doubt it. I think what I just told you is going on. So I didn't play this last week, but I'm going to play it now. This is part of the problem you have when you have the Democrat ecosystem. It creates incompetence. When you pick people based on how wealthy they are or what skin color they are, who, sh- who they choose to have sex with, you're going to get incompetence, right? And if you continue to do it and you ratchet up, and that's what the Democratic Party has done. These people used to be out there. You sprinkled them in here and there. It always happened. Now it's almost exclusively how they pick people, and you get just you know monolithic incompetence. Take a listen to Daniel Goldman. I've picked on him before. Here's somebody, you know, that was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. Well, it's a little different hitting that ball and getting over to third base. Daniel, take a listen to this. And you testified that he said to, to that Hunter told his dad, according to Rob Walker, quote, I may be trying to start a company or try to do something with these guys. Now, let me ask you something. That doesn't sound much like Joe Biden was involved in whatever Hunter Biden was doing with the CEFC if Hunter Biden is telling him that he's trying to do business with them, does it? No, but it does show that he said he told his father he was trying to do business and he was. Okay. Boom. Now folks, that that's the type of incompetence that if he were my co-counsel, as soon as humanly possible, when we take a break and that's the way it works, we'll take a break, go bathroom break, 15 minutes per break for lunch. Literally he and I are in the bathroom and I'm throwing him through a freaking wall. You literally just got somebody to testify under oath to the exact opposite of what you were trying to show, right? It does, well, true, it's true he wasn't in the business if he's talking about Thinman. Yeah, but it, it points out that they talked about it, and he's been saying for the longest time they didn't talk about it. I mean, folks, that again, and that's the kind of thing, don't worry, they won't do that because he's incompetent, and it's okay to be incompetent. It's no big deal. Anyway, you needed to hear that. I had it a while back, and other people used it, but it didn't become important until you saw what Jen, uh, what Corinne Jean Pierre did. And again, it so you could be what she's doing there is incompetence. I doubt it. So next headline here, real quick one. This is from Matthew Dowd. Again, another social media influencer on the left that you know was up, shows up in my Twitter feed because I got to read what these people are talking about. So you don't have to. Mitt Romney would have more effect on who is GOP nominee, as if, I mean, what, what planet are you on? Nobody cares what Mitt Romney thinks. I don't even think people in Utah care what Mitt Romney thinks about being senator of Utah, because he's not going to be that come next time, but whatever, is GOP nominee. If he and Murkowski and others announce that if Trump is the nominee in 2024, they will become independents and caucus with the Democrats in order to keep the GOP MAGA in line. Okay, a reason I highlight this for you is this is what these people think right? Know thy enemy, right? These people, they literally don't have any, there's no concept at all that the citizens of Utah nominate Romney, right? And then Romney is going supposed to represent the interests of Utah. Oh, no, 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 no. No, This is not how it works. We are selected. We're better. And then we go tell you people what to think and believe. So Romney, even though he's elected by the citizens of Utah who are overwhelmingly Republican, why, he should just go caucus with the Democrats, if we think so. It's just insanity. Um, All right, folks, Robert F. Kennedy... Um, and I wanted to talk about this in the context, and I, I feel bad. I don't think I was doing the podcast when the last three Supreme Court decisions came out. If I had, and I did think I tweeted about it, but one of the problems that you had in those last three decisions, um, and we're talking about the failure to make a website for people who are lesbian or transgender, I can't mention that matter, affirmative action and the student loans, you had three decisions that a lot of us in the libertarian sphere or constitutional sphere didn't think the Supreme Court was going to do it. I thought they were going to, I thought for some of the ones that were controversial, they would find standing reasons so they don't have to issue an opinion. And then I thought for affirmative action, they would issue an opinion, but it would basically be like, well, it is unconstitutional, but for this reason and that reason, we're going to let you continue to do it or some, but they didn't. I'm glad they didn't. But the important thing that happened that day those three decisions came down. Here's what was important. The three leftist judges on the Supreme Court, they had an opportunity to give the left a little bit of pushback, a little bit of guardrail. Let's not go crazy. 
So let's start with Alana Kagan. She had an opportunity to say, hey, Biden, if you want to forgive student loans, go get the House and the Senate, which, by the way, you know, you did control for two years and pass what's called a law. Right. And then institute the law. Don't just go and write something on a pen and expect us to do it. Now, to be fair to Kagan, because you know me, I believe in being fair. She tried to come up with some bizarre technical reasons why what Biden did was proper and that the Supreme Court shouldn't be overruling acts of the president, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So she did give him a little bit. She did at least dodge the issue. She didn't try to say, well, what he did is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong at all with what he did, and he can do whatever he wants. He can stroke a pen and make you get a clot shot. He can stroke a pen and make you buy insurance. He can stroke a pen, and you're going to have to eat vegetables once a week. That's the way it works in America. That's the way it works. And, folks, when you hear democracy, that's exactly what it means. Oh, did I get 50% plus one? Oh, I did. You got to eat vegetables twice a week. You got to lose 10 pounds. Oh, your BMI is 27? Oh, no, no, no. Your BMI will be 25 by next week or you're going to jail. That's democracy. That's tyranny, folks. That's not what we are. But at least she tried to pretend at least a little bit. And this just shows you how wacky the system is. Now, Katanji Brown-Jackson, did she do that with affirmative action? No. No. In fact, she spent all her time saying not only is preferential treatment for minorities constitutional, you must do it, right? Same thing with Soto Sotomayor. Oh, well, the state can make you do anything they want. And again, I want you to understand about that refusal to do the website. It wasn't saying, hey, I won't do a website for gay people. I won't do a website for transgender people. If you come to me and you say, hey, uh, I'm transgender. Okay, so what? What do you want me to do? Well, I want you to do me this basic website that talks about math. No problem. I'll have it to you in a week. Here, give me my money. Boom. Same thing. You're gay? No problem. I'll have it to you in a week. I want you to make a website that says that transgender is the only real gender. Uh, I can't do that because I, I, don't, I don't believe that. and I, that, would, that would literally violate my religion. It would be like coming to me and saying, I want you to do a podcast on how the Dallas Cowboys are awful. Actually, I could do that. But you get the point. I'm not going to do that. I don't care how much you pay me. And I should have the right not to do that. Right? It's freedom of speech. Da, 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 da. But both of them went out of their way to take the mob and get the mob riled up and get the mob to think that it's perfectly appropriate. Again, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. When the ERA didn't pass, what happens is they put out a constitutional amendment. You have a certain amount of time for uh, three-quarters of the states to ratify it. If they don't, then it is not passed. That's just the way it works. The ERA did not pass. It fell like two states short. Well, symbolically, over the time, over the decades, you had a bunch of these people, and these states would get together, and even though it had expired, they'd go ahead and pass it. Well, what do you know? Sooner or later, I think it was Virginia was the last state they needed, and they got over the threshold. And it was like, I'm not, folks, I'm not even joking. I think it was like 2015. It had been expired for like 30 years. And the left, oh, my God, everywhere. We got, we've got, we now passed the Equal Rights Amendment. It's now part of it. Da, 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 and they ran, they ran, they ran. Eventually, they got around to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right, the one. And Ruth, I mean, to her credit, she said, move on. No, it, it expired of its own volition, and you didn't get it passed in time. If you want to, re, you know, try to get somebody to put it out there again. You know, go out, try to do this. I mean, God bless her, because she told the mob what the truth was. No, no, this is not the way this works. We don't do things this way. Do what I did and go try to make change, but make it the right way. And what you have now, as bad as Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on a lot of things, she ain't as bad as Ketanji Brown-Jackson or Soto Sotomayor. And what you're seeing is you've got this environment, there are no guardrails. And the people that try to put guardrails, they can't. Which brings us to RFK Jr. And here's why this is important. I get it. He's a nut job, they say. And it's mainly because he's against the poison poke. He's against the clot shot. But... It's not just the fact that he's anti-vaccine. So here's the Midas Touch again, a left-wing group, a million followers. This guy is absolutely nuts, and that's the nicest thing we can say about him. Now, he needs RFK. If you think about it, you're the Democrat Party, and you've gone too far to the left, and you're no longer even functioning in reality. We need some people on our side that we can go, well, I mean, you know, that's an interesting thing we should think and explore. I mean, I'm still with Joe Biden on this, but okay, no. These people are still going any dissent. They're crazy. So when I clicked on the bit to see what he was going to say, I assumed it would be about vaccines, right? Or some wacky conspiracy theory. No, it's not that. Take a listen to what he's talking about. And I want you to understand, this just isn't a political disagreement here. This just isn't a policy disagreement that you would think as Americans you're allowed to have. This means he's absolutely nuts. Take a listen. 
is language art, and you use the design of agreement. So Ukraine, to, to appease Putin, uh, Putin, rather, who I think is evil, they've already given up Crimea, it was annexed, so what, they, now they have to give up the Donbass area? Well, I, you know, the, the Ukraine, because of our pushing the Ukraine into the war, on two occasions, they, they, uh, in we, we pushed them into it, or Putin? Well, let me tell you, let me, let me answer your question. Yeah. In 2019, France, Germany, and Russia all agreed to the Minsk Accords. That year, Zelensky ran for president. He was a comedian. He had no political experience. Why did he win? Because he, he won, ran on one issue, signing the Minsk Accords. So basically, the Minsk Accords, folks, ended Russia's first excursion into Ukraine. Long story short, that's what it did. They basically said, oh, we're going to give you this and we're going to give you that. And again, one of the things that's going on over there, and again, you know me, I don't like Ukraine. I called it a hoax from the beginning. But one of the things that's going on there, this is Russia's border right there. And one of the problems you have is you have a lot of ethnic Russians. So technically, because of the line, the way the line's drawn, they really, they speak Russian, they do Russians, but they're technically Ukrainians. And so Putin for a long time is going, I want these people back in my country. And he claims, I'm just telling you the truth, you make up your own mind. He claims, and they want to be back in my country. I don't know what the truth is. God knows, and apparently they know. But that's what he's talking about. And what he's saying is, Zelensky ran saying, yeah, you know what, I'm going to sign this agreement, and then we're going to have peace with Russia, and, and that's the end of that. Okay, he continues. As soon as he got in there, Victoria Newland in the White House told him he couldn't do it. That Putin sends 40,000 troops in. That's not enough to conquer the country. Clearly, he wanted us to come to the negotiation. He wanted somebody to come to the negotiating table. Zelensky came to the negotiating table, signed a new agreement that was the Minsk Accords too in 2022 and that would have allowed Donbass to stay and Lugansk to stay to remain as part of of Ukraine we said Putin signed it Zelensky initialed it and Putin in good faith began withdrawing troops from the Ukraine what happened we sent Boris Johnson over there to torpedo it all right now folks look folks I didn't spend the time to research this I just wanted you to hear that theory and the basic point of all that is this We had a deal. Everybody over there, which would mean Ukraine and Russia, they agreed, here's the deal, here's the agreement we're going to have. And then all of a sudden, there's pressure from the U.S. State Department to not have a deal. And so they send Boris Johnson, and then you now know the rest, right? Putin says, oh, well, I'll be darned. So then he goes in and ratchets up and decides to take more territory, right? Thinking, well, sooner or later, they're going to realize we don't want war, all to find out that apparently America does love war. We all know that we do. I'm not going to get into it. I think it's a hoax. I thought it's a hoax from the beginning. That's part of the reason. The only point I wanted to make to you, that is a Democrat saying that. Number two, that is not a nutty theory at all. In fact, if you want to, go look up the bit yourself and do that research. Either Putin did sign it and Zelensky did initial it or he didn't. Those are facts. But see, to Midas touch, he's absolutely nuts. Nothing to see here. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to finish with this. And I ah, dadgum it. I'm not going to even beat an hour today. But anyway, folks, it is what it is. You need to know the news. All right, so three issues that could make the difference for Joe Biden in 2024. This popped up into my feed. It is from Mark Penn. Who is Mark Penn? Mark Penn, as you know, if you're one of the I Feel Cheated crowd, you know this already. He was Clinton's pollster. He was largely the pollster that helped Clinton win in 1996, also in 1992. He is one of the authors of It's the Economy Stupid. He's one of the authors of Triangulation. All right. Now I didn't bring up Mark Pent to talk about Mark Penn to talk about triangulation or It's the Economy Stupid or Bill the Clinton. I did not. I brought it up for this reason. I read it because you got to. Mark Penn's one of those people you need to read. Anyway, many voters, quote, including me, unquote, believe Donald Trump disqualified himself to be president again when he stood idly by for hours as the U.S. Capitol was under siege on January 6, 2021. And yet Trump continues to lead Joe Biden in horse race polling at the Harvard-Caps-Harris poll. At best, in other polls, the race is a toss-up at this point, and Trump is within one point in the real clear politics. Average. Don't want to talk about 2024. It's way too early. What I want to talk about is... This environment that I've been talking about on all of today's show that we're in, right, it's completely rotted and cancerous to the core. 
Even people like Mark Penn, who I would consider a quote-unquote moderate in the sense that he still listens to both sides, he will criticize his own side, they're still caught up in the environment and they have no idea that they're being misled, right? Trump did not sit by idly for hours. This I did a podcast. It got taken down on YouTube. I'm, one of the things I'm gratified about coming back to YouTube is, so far, they haven't canceled me. Several times, I've said things that would have gotten me canceled by YouTube, which is part of the reason I had to leave YouTube and go over to Twitter, right? But, folks, Trump did not stand idly by. I've got an article at my Substack on... Um, uh, no, Trump didn't commit a crime, and uh, it's also I've got an article entitled um, uh, "Proof That Trump Didn't Want Violence on January 6th. And you know the story by now. He had gone to the trouble of getting um, uh, eight senators and 137 Congress people to elect to the certification on Joe Biden on January 6th. He was the last person that wanted any violence because the violence, as we know, absolutely quashed it. So I'm going to go here to the Washington Compost. Okay, the Washington Post, and this article is still up there. Now, this article, there used to be the New York Times and the Washington Post. Now, only the Washington Post has the true timeline because the New York Times, in part because of people like me, I did a podcast where I broke down the January 6th committee's 187 minutes. And let me go back to Mark Penn because that's where he gets it. The January 6th committee spent an entire hearing basically trying to prove that Donald Trump did nothing for 187 minutes. It is a lie. And I did a video, it was about a 10-minute video, where I proved it was a lie based on the New York Times and the Washington Post. If you looked at their timelines, the only way you can get to 187 is if you start immediately after he finished the rally, where his last words were, go and peacefully and patriotically protest. If you start then, you start the little stopwatch, like on 60 Minutes. That's how you start it, right? And then when you end it with his speech in the Rose Garden, which Twitter promptly took down, by the way, but if you end it there, you get 187 minutes. And my point was that's not the right starting point. The right starting point is, let's go to the Washington Post. The right starting point is 2.15. He finished the speech about 1 o'clock. So that means you're already 75 minutes off when you're counting 187, right? Pro-Trump mob, quote-unquote, again, this is the Washington Post. It's already biased. Pro-Trump mob breaches the Capitol. We don't know what that mob was pro or anything. We don't know if it was infiltrated by the feds. We don't know. Anyway, two, around 2.15, pro-Trump mob breaches the Capitol. So that'd be when you'd start. So that's when they breach the Capitol. How long does it take Trump to say something? Well, folks, it takes Trump until 2.38, right? And if my, if my math is not off, and I don't think it is, that's 23 minutes. 23 minutes later, Trump tweets, Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful! Exclamation point. Now, why did he do that? Well, one, because I don't think he supported violence. For, because he's exactly right. In the next tweet, you'll see. It, Republicans don't protest. Republicans don't riot. They just don't do it. Not to mention, it's like, hey, guys, I got people getting ready to object. I got a whole plan I've worked months on. If you keep this crap up, it ain't going to go through. Well, we all know it didn't go through. It didn't. wasn't even close it didn't go through. Anyway, just so to prove that this happened at 3.13, okay, so now we're looking like within 60 minutes, right, 58 minutes. I'm asking everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence, exclamation point. Remember, comma, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. Now, again, the point here is he didn't wait hours. He didn't. It's just a lie. But Mark Penn thinks that that's true. He thinks it to this day. He is a very informed person, and he honestly believes it. Hook up a lie detector test to him, and he will pass. It took hours. It didn't take hours. It took 23 minutes and 58 minutes. And God only knows what he was doing on the phones. This is what we publicly know. And, that not, and forget about the proof that are in my articles, right? You know... It, there are also videos, right? Twitter, I'm trying to figure out how to YouTube to put it back up. It's up on Rumble if you want to see it. Um, in fact, if you search for 187 minutes, it'll come up because that's one of the titles. But anyway, the point of all this is, and I'll leave you with this today, is even people who want to try and help the Democrats, even the people who are on their side that want to try to check them, they can't. Why? Because the media environment and the way we get our news, it's so rotten. Right. And unless you know a whole lot of things, right, you can't even figure out what's going on. 
it's really a sad state of affairs. But you know, eventually we'll get it. We'll get it straight. And we could easily get it straight in a lot of ways. I mean, this election, if the right people win, we could start to set it back. This is one of the reasons they're so against Trump because Trump's got nothing to lose for a lot of reasons. One, they've already they've already done everything they can do. There's nothing more they can do. Well, I guess they could try to assassinate him, but that's about it, right? There's nothing more they can do. Okay. And number two, he 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 can only get one term. So he doesn't have to worry about getting reelected again. So believe me, they're scared of him more than you could ever imagine. And one more point, and I'll finish it with this. He says right here that in the Harvard-Harris poll, he's up. And in the real clear politics, he's within point, one point. Let me translate within one point in real clear politics. because I know you're hearing this at other podcasts. For example, Eric Erickson. For example, Ben Shapiro. Well, if you nominate Trump, it's just a bad candidate. We're going to lose. Folks, they don't know what they're talking about. Now, listen, I'm not a Trumper. I'll vote for him if he's the nominee. I'll tell you that. Well, unless the Democrats come up with somebody rational, which is very unlikely, but I'll vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. But let me tell you something. If he's within one point, he wins the Electoral College. Ain't no question about that. Easily wins the Electoral College. And that's what's got him scared to death. Remember, Biden won by like three and a half points. And even then, he needed 44,000 votes, quote unquote, in three or four states to help him win the Electoral College. They're scared to death. But anyway, I I told you that because, again, you have to understand the environment where we are. Even people that want to tell you the truth are relying on information and trusting people who are giving them faulty information, right? Garbage in, garbage out is the way to look at that. So, all right, you folks are all up to date on the news of the day. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you tune back in tomorrow.